There's a few people here that missed the memo. The beauty is there's a, it's like a family of us now. Social distance, keeping safe. Well, those of you that are watching online and those of you that are here, um, through a lot of deliberation, prayer, discussion yesterday, we decided with Rimrock Downtown to take a couple weeks off from our normal gathering based on the number of individuals from our community that are either um, experiencing COVID directly or have been exposed to it. Um, it's just crazy the number of families within our community. And so this has nothing to do with fear or government regulations. It's just what we're hoping is the wisest choice just to save us um, having to potentially go through the sickness as well as the inconvenience that it seems to cause. So uh, we'll just evaluate as we go, but our plan right now is this week and next week, we'll just kind of go back to more of the online version and then hopefully we'll be able to reassemble. Just know that this is my last option for me to go online. Um, the moment that we got the green light from Rapid City back in May, we were here. This is what the community is all about, coming together in wise ways, but coming together. Um, and so just know that um, it'll happen really soon. So I appreciate all of you that are willing to stay tuned in, even though you are not here. Um, I just want to make a quick announcement. Um, there is something called the Hands of Love um, that Rimrock has been a part of for quite a while now. It's an orphanage in Uganda that has like 2,000 plus kids. Um, Rebecca Herman was down here two weeks ago, and she kind of shared about and showed you some images, things like that. It's a chance right now for us to buy presents for the workers there and their kids, ones who are giving up so much of their own life in order to serve these kids. We have names and pictures of these individuals. They, there's, a lot of indi there's a lot of people within Rimrock that know them, and so it's not like you're just donating money to go to some random kid, but we're actually buying for specific individuals. Um, if you're online, uh, Derek's going to put up her email. She was hoping to get that response by today. So if it's something that you feel like you want to do, um, please reach out to Rebecca. Any of you guys, just come and talk to me. There's also a table out back. All right. Before we hop into First John, let's pray. My hope is that that's why you're here, is just to go before God himself. God, I just come before you. I give you my mind, my emotions, my willpower. Every aspect of who I am, I give to you. Because I want your truth. I want only what you can give me. That's what I want to base my life on today. So Spirit, have your way within me. Satan, I stand against you now. You are real and you have no power here because of Jesus, because of who he is, because of what he's done on the cross. God, we are yours. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in 1 John 4, if you guys happen to have Bibles on you. Those of you online, it's much better if you are looking at your own Bible than um, what is put up behind you. But in case you're a millennial and you're lazy like the rest of us, it will be put up in front of you too. So 1 John, 1, 1 John 4, 1 through 6 is where we're at. So a bit of an intro. So the idea of simplifying one's life is popular these days. From what we eat to what we own to what is in our shampoo, there's a major push towards living pure lives. Jump on the paleo or keto train and stop eating only like 90% of the American diet. Sell your massive house and move into a tiny home or even better, into a camper. 
Free, free your body from toxins by getting rid of Dawn dish soap. Right? There's a major push in our culture to make our lives healthier by removing excess and toxic, by simplifying your life. I know you know what I'm talking about. Multiple families from our church have chosen to sell their homes and are living in campers. Me, I'm a wholesale keto fanatic. And the bright blue Dawn dish soap that I bought a month ago disappeared in about a week. It seems like we want to move to more of a black and white. Feel free to put that black and white image up there if you would. Give you a bit of an analogy. It's like our culture is pushing us to do what's best for our health, what's best for our time, by focusing in on much more of a defined point of view. Right? Where we are now, go ahead and go to the next one, is much more of a gray area. We're just wandering through, uncertain of what our choices should be when it comes to our health, when it comes to how we should spend our time and our money. We're just stumbling. You know, personally, I found such value in following this cultural trend, which I see backed by biblical truth. It has definitely made my life easier and better. But what's interesting and sad is that just because it's trendy to simplify with possessions and food doesn't mean the same is true of our worldviews. In our culture's eyes, the polar opposite is true. A person's view of truth, of the way things are and who we are, is entirely up to that person. In our culture of relativism, that what is true to you is true and what is true to me is true, out of this approach, there are possibly 7.8 billion definitions of truth, the same number of people in the world. Show that next one. This is our view of truth. There's black and white in there somewhere, but it's just covered. Right? We are living and operating in a world of grace. Because of this, our lives have moved from simple to complex, even messy. Because we are encouraged to find truth by following our own limited logic and ever-changing emotions, we have little to no set direction on how to live, and no stability when circumstances rear their ugly heads, which they definitely do. You know, over the past, past couple months, we've been studying through the book of 1 John. As we work our way through this letter, it is becoming more and more apparent to me that John was a minimalist, at least in his understanding of truth. In chapter 3, he has been letting his audience know in an extremely straightforward manner that ultimately there are only two choices that lie ahead of everyone follow God or follow the evil one. Out of this choice, we'll either love people or hate them. We will either bring them life or death. John sees no middle ground when it comes to our choice in whom we follow and the ramifications, good or bad, that naturally flow from our choices. In his eyes, there is no in-between. You are either in the light or in the darkness. From the light flows love, which leads to life, from the darkness flows death, which lead, flows hate, which leads to death. In chapter 4, he points out the power of influence. Let's get into the Bible. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not conf confess Jesus is not from God. 
And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's a lot in these six verses. And we will walk through them one after another. But I first want to point out that John is continuing in his world of black and white. Let's look at verse 6, the last part of it. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In the world in which we live, people and the ideas, theologies, politics, and social movements that we create are either from God or they are not. They are either from the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. Once again, John is stating that there is no middle ground. Either our ideologies and beliefs about our lives in the world are truth or error. Now, I know this may cause a little hesitation within you. Like I mentioned before, the idea of seeing one's beliefs and views as being wrong does not fall in, our, in line with our culture. We live in a time that strongly embraces relativism. The idea that what is right for you is right, and what is right for me is right. But according to Webster's, truth is defined as that which is in accordance with fact or reality. You see, truth and error are just like light and darkness. They are completely opposing to one another. Darkness is the absence of light, and error is the absence of truth. You either have one or the other. There is no gray. A partial truth is not reality. It is not a statement of fact. Instead, instead it is an error, which, defined in the Greek, is a deception or a delusion, a skewed view of reality. Let me give you an analogy. Think about the world of mathematics. Two plus two is always four. Right? Regardless of how you feel when you do the calculations, the truth is always four. The same is true with science. Science reasoning is because 80% is, science reasoning is never because 80% of the time this happens, it's considered scientific fact. The only way that it is considered truth in accordance with reality is when it is fully proven 100% of the time. Again, according to John, the same principle or method of approach is also true with one's theological view, or in common language, who God is and who or what he, and what he wants us to be. And again, this may be making you feel slightly uneasy due to the culture in which we live and operate out of. But our culture's relativistic view does not fit with Christianity's view of a sovereign creator. Please hear this one. This is foundational. If you believe you were created, that you are not a random byproduct of a cosmic chance, that means there is a creator. Someone that designed the universe and the planet Earth in a, such an incredible way that life could exist. Someone that intricately designed the human body in ways that allow us to be extremely capable, to be able to accomplish incredible things. Out of this belief in a supreme and sovereign being, there now must be absolute truth. 
in the arena of big questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose? How should I treat other people? How should I live my life? What happens to me after I die? For these types of questions, there are specific answers, ones that are based on truth or reality of who the Creator is and why we have been created. Because God is real, because He is all-powerful and perfect, there are absolute truths, and in the world of absolutes, there are rights and wrongs. This is what John is referring to when he states there is a spirit of truth or a spirit of error. Now, the word spirit seems to be referring to the idea of what is inspiring what is being spoken. For those in John's day, first century, this may have been viewed as spiritual influence, either godly or satanic, a spiritual presence or being bringing thoughts and ideas to a person. People today, those who still believe in the reality of the spiritual realm, like myself, may see it in the same way, that there's spiritual influence. You know, it could also be interpreted as thoughts, ideas, and guiding beliefs that are inspiring people to say what they are saying. There are endless numbers of different views on reality today, from religions to secular organizations to cultural movements to political agendas. Our world is filled with different interpretations of reality which are flooding into each of our worlds every day through the news, social media, advertisement. And all of these have the ability to inspire us to think or act in certain ways. Because we live in a world of absolute truths, what is being communicated is either right or wrong. Because of this, we must be on guard. That's how John starts it. Look at verse 1. Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into this world. You know, John starts the section of his letter with a command. Do not believe every spirit, every thought, every belief system, everything that's inspiring you to do what you're doing. Instead, test them. In the Greek, test means to evaluate, prove, and examine. He is telling his community to take the time to think through what they hear before simply assuming that it is true so that they can see whether it is from God or not, the one who is all-powerful and unchanging, the one who established our reality and gives only fact. We must do this. Why? Because there are false prophets. The word false prophet in both Hebrew and Greek can be translated as man or woman of God. Real simple. People that have been chosen by God in order to deliver his message to people. Now, a strong majority of Christians believe that prophets are those who predict the future. But if you read through the Bible, there's like 4% of prophetic language that's talking about the future. Everything else is just pointing out God's view on what they're doing now, the good and the bad of it. By viewing a prophet through this definition, one who brings God's message to our world, it is a major role with serious responsibilities. When a person either states that they have a word, anybody here heard that? It's not really evangelical talk. I have a word for you. Right? You know what I'm talking about, Lyndon. That's where you grew up, right? Or are delivering a message of truth about who we are and how we should live. This is not something we should take lightly. 
Whatever they are telling you has the ability to influence your thoughts and behaviors in major ways. And according to John, there are false prophets. People that speak as if what they know is absolute truth, but is actually from a spirit of error, delusion, falseness. This is why we must test them. Test the spirits, the beliefs, the ideologies, the calls to action to see if they are from God, the only one who, te- who understands the best way for us to live and knows the future. Let's take a moment and directly apply this to us. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking and asking God and others which type of influence we should focus in on this morning. You know, there's so many different choices. If you step outside your house or turn on your TV or computer, you are bombarded by so many views of what is true. But the more that I study 1 John 4, I believe that he is most likely referring to the influences within the church. And above all, when I interpret the Bible, I want it to be accurate to what the Bible is saying. So let's apply our need to be on guard against false prophets within the church. Big C, the people of God, as well as within our community, Brimrock Downtown. So a couple questions. How many of you, on a regular basis, have somebody in your life that tells you about the truths of the Bible? You come to them maybe once a week and sit down and listen to them, right? That's all of us in here, right? How many of you listen to sermons online, podcasts, right? How many of you read the Bible and Christian thoughts about the Bible, right? It's a strong majority of all of us. The modern Christian church has been built on the formula of 95% of people sitting and listening and 5% of the people singing and teaching. Because of this, this is how we operate. We believe that all we need to do is show up and be fed or tune in and listen or crack the book, and that is enough for us to understand truth. Now, I absolutely believe in the importance of teachers. That's what I am. But if we only learn truth from other people, then we are relying fully on other people's interpretations and their personal views to show us absolute truth. Now, hopefully, those other people have correct understandings of truth. Hopefully, they have been given a word. But it's important for us to know that not everyone in a position of spiritual authority is always right every time. Let me give you some examples. Think about people like Jim Jones. Convinced hundreds of people that he was from God, which empowered him to do terrible things in Jonestown. Or Jim Baker, a pastor of millions and millions of people back in the 80s who ended up stealing 158 million people from, 158 million dollars from them. Or Jimmy Schwagger, a huge televangelist caught sleeping with prostitutes. Now I know these are drastic examples, but they are examples nonetheless of people using the platform of the Bible to promote their own desires. Let me give you a couple more that are a little less intense. Rob Bell, anybody heard of him? Founding pastor of a large church called Mars Hill in Michigan. He started with biblical truth, but then he moved to relativistic theology, claiming that there is no hell, and in the end, love wins for everyone. Or Joel Olstein, I know you guys know that name, who pastors the largest church in America. He is rooted in the idea of prosperity gospel, that health and wealth are directly connected to following Jesus. Or almost every single Episcopal priest in the entire country are promoting that homosexuality is a God-given design. 
Men like this prove that the teachers of the Bible are simply people, and everyone is imperfect and, at times, dragged away from the light and into the darkness by our flesh. Our desires to be our own gods and to experience instant gratification and the approval of others have the ability to cause people to do wicked things as well as promote skewed theology. This is why John tells us to test the spirits, to examine the messages that they are delivering, to spend the time analyzing on a deeper level than simply listening to well-developed rhetoric and assuming that it is truth. The same is true for those who are in your own life. People like me, Derek, Chris Parrish, ones who are telling you about who God is and the ways that you are created to live. Whether you recognize it or not, I have influence in your life. Therefore, you should be testing what I am telling you, not just assuming that because Evan, Pastor Evan, however you refer to me, says it, it is true. I am broken, I am fragile, I have skewed perspectives. You know, as John continues, he gives us a means of testing. Check their doctrine. Examine how what they are saying lines up with what the Bible says. Look at verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. For John, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the one on whom everything rests. This should be the same for all of us. What a person believes about Jesus affects everything. This is why he uses the word antichrist. He is once again making our choice simple, boiling it down to only two options. Either you believe that Jesus is God or you don't. Either you believe that he came to earth to save mankind and is the only one who can do this, or you don't. Again, there is no in-between. It's either one or the other. Now, back in John's day, the first century, there was a movement called Gnosticism. A few weeks ago, we looked at this in 1 John chapter 2. They believed that matter or things in the physical form were evil. Out of this came a sect that believe that Jesus never really had a real or natural body during his time on earth. Instead, his body was simply an illusion. Now, many people probably thought that this was a small change in the fine print, and it really didn't matter. And because this was a popular movement in the time, a lot of Christians jumped on board. But in reality, this slight shift changed everything on one's understanding of who Jesus is. Think about it. It means that Jesus didn't actually have to suffer for our sins. It means that God's love for his creation wasn't deep enough to actually step into our place and pay our price and pay our price for our rebellion. Instead, God simply put on a show. Believing that the creator of everything really didn't care about his creation, but instead used his powers to try to lure more people into following him. Is exactly the way, is exactly what the Greeks and Romans believed about their gods. They were capricious, driven by self interest, and shouldn't be trusted. Let me give you another analogy. Anybody out here ever use a map and a compass prior to GPS coming in? Right? Surely you have. And so let's say the instructions on um, your guidelines of getting, to, getting you where you want to be say, go 
334 degrees north-northwest for seven miles, and you will arrive at your location. If we're like, well, what if I went 332? 332 and a half. It wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? Would that take you to a different place? Absolutely, a fully different place. You'd be wondering, man, how did I get here? The slightest shift can send you down entirely different roads. For us, the examples I gave earlier, believing that there is no eternal damnation or that by following God's commands you are guaranteed to be prosperous or that God created people to be in homosexual relationships, this may seem insignificant to one's understanding of God and how they're supposed to live, but in the same way that one or two degrees shift on a compass in the ways that it will lead you down a completely different path, the same is true of these slight shifts in biblical truth. No hell leads to no one needing to be saved. Think about that and the ramifications that would have. The prosperity gospel, that leads to the rich and healthy thinking they are definitely following God and the poor and the sick assuming that they're doing something wrong in God's eyes. Embracing homosexuality falls in line with relativism, that whatever you feel is right is right instead of holding to God's defined truth. When you operate out of these principles, you can easily end up in places that you do not want to be. It may take you years, decades to realize it, but it's pushing you down the wrong path. That is why we must test, evaluate, and examine the biblical truths that people are teaching to make sure we know that they're actually biblical truths. You may be wondering, how do I do that? such a simple answer. Know your Bible. We have been given direct access to the Bible. We have it in so many different translations that kind of fits your style of reading, your style of life. It is fully accessible. The excuse can never be on the material not being in our hands or whether or not I can understand it. It is simply on you and I. You know, John finishes his paragraph with a similar idea. Verses 4 through 6. Little children, that's us, Christians, you are from God and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they are saying is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You know, there's a lot of different ways to interpret this one, different trains, tracks to head down. But what I'm seeing is that he states that the one in us is greater than the one in the world. In chapter 3, verse 24 of 1 John, he states, all who obey his commands and abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. That means that we have direct access to God, the absolute truth. His spirit has the ability to speak to you, to guide you and direct your thoughts and refine your beliefs. I know that one's hard to believe, but again, if you believe that you were created, think about how powerful that being must be. And then his ability to come into your life is so much simpler than his power to create. And this is what the Spirit of God did for all of the 40 different authors of the Bible. 
He influenced their worldviews and guided them to record and promote truth, things are in, that are in accordance with fact or reality. That is why the Bible has had more of a positive impact on the world than any other book, ideology, philosophy, or religion than anything else. And you want some good books that explain this? Come and talk to me. It's mind-blowing to me the way that the Bible has formed the goodness in this world. This is why the, that studying the Bible changed my life and continually makes me a better husband and a better father because it is truth given from the maker of everything. And so if we want to know if a message is from God or not, what must we do? Go to the Bible. The, now, the primary, primary line of defense is easy, but it's powerful. If someone that you're listening to does not teach from the Bible, watch out. If a pastor only uses one verse about halfway through his sermon and the rest of it is just his stories and his philosophies, be leery. When someone teaches from the Bible, they are forced to wrestle with biblical truth and their own ideologies during their own preparation. If they don't go to the Bible, then they can just get stuck in their own worldview and make it sound really good. And when a teacher is using the Bible, make sure, they go, make sure you go back and examine it on your own. Write down the verses that they are using and then spend time reading and asking the Spirit to help you discern what is true. Remember, John told us that we can conquer the lies of this world because of the Spirit of the living God that is within you. So please, go back and reread 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Take the time to think through it, pray through it, analyze it, ask God about it. See if what I'm saying is true. Now regardless of if, someone, if you are testing someone else's thoughts or not, read your Bible every day or five days a week or every other day or once a week. I don't care, just read your Bible. Take five to ten minutes to read one chapter before the rat race of the day starts. Take five to ten minutes to read a psalms when your emotions are firing high. Take five to ten minutes to read a devotional that is walking you through the Bible. Do it alone. Do it with your family. Do it with your friends. Do it with coworkers. From my own experience, five to ten minutes can quite literally change your life. I've heard this from countless people that if this is the way that they start their day, everything else that follows is more life-giving. Right? You guys experience this? It's crazy. It's so simple, but it sets you down a different track for that day. It can give you more self-control, more kindness, more joy. By starting your day in the Word of God, you are inviting His Spirit to have control over your mind, your emotions, your willpower, what the Bible refers to as your heart. When He is given this position, He can show you truth. He can, show, he can make your world of grays turn into a well-defined world of black and white. He can give you a simple, pure life. Let's take a moment to pray and let's worship God. God, right now, I just ask you to encourage me, encourage everybody that's listening to just reach out to you, directly you, to leave me and my teachings in the dust and go and just encounter you on, your, on our own. God, 
just prick something within our minds, within the deeper parts of who we are, to want to know you more. You are real. You are so good. So bring more of that goodness to us.